You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. Hey everybody, welcome to the second Star Wars movie that we are going to be talking about, Empire Strikes Back, 1980s Empire Strikes Back. We're going to do a couple episodes on this one, although we really need to pick up the pace, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. August. We got to get this stuff done by December. By December. So we should probably, well, we've got done all the things, right? What's coming out that we have to do this year? Anything much more? Any Marvels or things that people are going to demand Sanity at the Movie talk about? No more Marvel in 2019. Probably something or other that we have to see, but we'll we'll pick up. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll just do a giant Star Wars run. We'll get Brandon back here in here. I'd like to get Ben Solzer in here to talk about a Star Wars movie at some time, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be fun. But today you've got me and Jake. We are going to introduce you to the concept of us talking about The Empire Strikes Back. Just the idea of just us the, talking about it. And we're going to talk about it. We're just going to get you ready for the idea of us talking That's about exactly it. That's exactly right. This whole episode is <laughs> going to be a very metatextual episode. <laughs> or it's going to be about how two guys are talking into a microphone about Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. That's not true. What? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Jake actually doesn't have any idea what's going on. But Jake is going to, because I told him I had an idea how to do this episode. He explicitly told me not to rewatch Empire Strikes Back before coming in. I so did. I have it. Yeah, and I have not rewatched it either. And we'll probably rewatch it before the next episode. But today, I just want to talk more big picture about Empire Strikes Back. Really, there's one point that I want to make in this episode. And that's that Empire Strikes Back, I think everybody feels really, 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 really inevitable as many successful, awesome things feel inevitable. Yeah. But you take yourself back to 1978, 1979, when this movie was in development. I don't think anything about it was inevitable. And to make that point, me and Jake are going to play a little game called Studio Pitch <laughs> Okay, thing. yeah. And so, Jake, you're going to play the part of... Now, the interesting thing about Empire Strikes Back, and I think the very important thing that you need to know, is that Lucas waived a... a Pretty substantial fee, I want to say $500,000 directing fee for A New Hope in return for the licensing and merchandising rights for Star Wars. Because George Lucas is a genius. Genius move. George Lucas understood (laughs) what he had. 20th Century Fox did not. And so they signed away for $5,000. George Lucas bought billions of dollars, right? And those toys were flying off the shelves by Christmas of that year. Uh, they couldn't keep up with the demand. Empire Strikes Back. They knew what they were, what they had, and they went into it, you know, prepared to sell toys to be to merchandise Star Wars. Lest yep. we forget, or lest people don't know, you know, now the new Marvel thing comes out. McDonald's is going to do a tie-in. There's going to be Happy Meal toys. There's going to be yeah. Walmart. I went gonna... to. I was traveling the other day, and I went to uh, McDonald's, and I was so annoyed because I was trying to order. And all of the screens switched to an ad for The Lion King. Mm-hmm. All of them. And I had to sit through and watch this ad for The Lion King before I could see what was up on the menus to order. So right. obnoxious. Brave New World. I mean, we're basically living... I always think one of the most prescient technical movies or technological movies is Minority Report. Yep. The part where Tom Cruise well, or somebody... Minority Report, let's be honest, shaped the world that we live in. Like The imagineering of Minority Report gave us the desire to have the kind of tech and user interfaces that we have today. That's absolutely right. And there's there's a really good article. I, f- I forget who wrote it, but or where it was where you can find it. But something about how a lot of the stuff in Minority Report actually isn't that intuitive or that great. But we wanted it. We wanted we wanted to so be we got able it. to <laughs> you know move things on touch screens with our hands like Tom Cruise does. Yeah. And so lo and behold, we do. Yeah. And I'm not sorry. I think it's cool. 
Um, I haven't watched that movie since around the time it came out. I think this is a- I rewatched it in the last five years. I think the hold up. Oh yeah, it holds up. It's one of the good That's ones. My, yeah, I think it's one of the good ones. One of Spielberg's. You know, when he still wanted to make entertainments and still had his heart in them. Yep. Maybe the Maybe last one of the last, the last great Spielberg. Yeah. Not not that he hasn't done good movies since then, but one of the last great Spielberg style entertainments where his heart was really Just in like it. Just like a yeah, fun big budget Indiana Jonesy kind of yeah action scenes and ideas and characters and everything. Yeah. Everything's firing on all cylinders. Yep. You watch. I like the war, his War of the Worlds. I think it's a little half baked. The second half of that movie is not nearly as good as the first half. And then after that, we get into your Crystal Skulls and your. Uh, Ready Player you know, Ones, with the things where he it seems like he feels like he wants to still you, do some stuff for the kids, but his heart's just not in it. What's sad is like there could have been a real like the kind of partnership that Tom Cruise has now with guys like Christopher McQuarrie. Yes, like maybe it could have never ultimately worked between Spielberg and Cruise, but Cruise has sort of like taken that Spielbergian mantle and used people to achieve that same kind of goal. But man. I mean, some people might say, wouldn't it be fun if Spielberg was a hack that didn't follow his vision and still made the kinds of things that he made in the 80s? Is that what you're saying, Jake? Yeah. Maybe that is. And it is what yeah. I'm saying. I, 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 and I tend to agree. Wouldn't it be fun if Spielberg still just made crowd pleasers? Yeah, it would. Nobody did it better. Yeah, nobody did it better. I mean, I understand, you know, you, when you're an old man, you don't want to do the same things that you did when you were a kid and you want to grow and change and challenge yourself. Yeah, but movies that mean things... I mean, it's like you, you want to do movies that mean things, right? right? And you end up doing movies that don't mean anything. Well, that's the thing. If he was really challenging himself, I think I'd feel good about it. But what I always get the sense is that he's got a great team. He breathes film out of his nostrils. He sweats film. He can put together a movie like The Post and really easily. Awards. And he can get Meryl Streep and all Tom these Hanks people. And, and whoever he wants. You know, Bob Odenkirk is going to play a small part in the movie. He can just, yeah. he can get all the best people to come in. They can knock it out. He can be doing Ready Player One basically on the side, you know, filming I, for 10 days on that thing. Apple and, and, can call, call him up and be like, hey, we're launching a thing. Do a thing for us. And he'll be like, yeah, sure. I can do that on the side too. And it'll be fine. It'll be good. So these, pre- but these prestige movies don't actually feel like big challenges for him. I, I think they were. I think Saving Private Ryan was a big challenge. And I think you feel the sweat and the blood, no pun intended, in that movie. And it's, I don't like the story in Saving Private Ryan. I think it's, I think it's a bad screenplay. Actually, that's Nathan's controversial take on Saving Private Ryan. But in terms of the filmmaking and what he was trying to do, it's an impressive spectacle and, you know, yeah, moving. And people, I mean, Schindler's Chris- List, same thing. I mean, you could tell he really wanted to make that movie. It meant a lot to him. He put a lot of himself into it. Yeah. And and people have tried to follow that pattern. Christopher Nolan's a really good example of trying to follow those Steven Spielberg pattern of I make big fun crowd pleaser type movies and now I make serious movies. And right. How do I make the you know shift? You know, one of the things I have to do is a big epic World War II movie. So I'm going to make Dunkirk. Dunkirk, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting point. I actually never thought about that. But Nolan probably, in his heart of hearts, takes, uh, not even in his heart of hearts, he probably thinks to himself consciously, I want to be Spielberg and I'm just going to follow in his footsteps. I think he does, yeah. But so thus far, Nolan hasn't abandoned the idea of making movies that lots and lots of people want to see that are about things that are interesting to more than people that might be interested in the post, yeah. for example. Nothing necessarily wrong with the post. I've actually, I haven't seen the post. I'm sure it's fine, but... I haven't either. Why, why would I want to see a, a prestige propaganda film? Right. Well, and even something like Bridge of Spies. I don't know. It just feels like 
he's not challenging himself. I think I think in one in a certain sense, Spielberg had the best year of his life. I think it was ninety three. Schindler's List and Jurassic Park both came out. So he got all the honors as a serious filmmaker and he made the best spectacle audience pleasing entertainment of his entire career. And and both things happened. He was going insane trying to yeah. oversee the special effects on this silly dino- kids dinosaur movie and immersing himself in the Holocaust. Yeah. He's doing all these things at once. And then these two things hit and suddenly he's Steven Spielberg, serious filmmaker. And he's also wearing the crown as still the guy that's still got it as the greatest entertainer. Yep. And I think he's kind of tried to follow that template for the next 20, 30 years. I guess it's been about 30 years since since 1993 now. Yep. But it doesn't quite work as well. You can tell his heart's not really in the entertainments. And I don't know how much his heart is in the, the prestige pictures. I think he likes the prestige pictures more, but it feels more like I appreciate the theme of this, of, of your your post or your Bridge of Spies. I appreciate the idea. I have a point that I think would be helpful to make, and I've got all the resources. So people are going to, yeah. I don't know. I'd love to, I'd love for him to just do something crazy, whether it's as an entertainment or try to break the try to break a budget again. Yeah, just that's the thing you got to appreciate about James Cameron as as much as yeah, he's exactly. not somebody I that I particularly of. respect. He's going to make five more Avatar movies, and he's going to wait forever until people don't care about Avatar, and he's going to swing for the fences again. I mean, Avatar two yeah. is going to have to prove itself. He's going to again. He's going to yeah. He's going to have to prove that Avatar is a worthy thing franchise, to be a franchise. Yeah, that it's worth being a franchise. And there's and, absolutely no guarantee. Just like there was no guarantee with Avatar one. Just like there was no guarantee with Titanic. Just like there was no guarantee with. Well, I guess Terminator 2 was a pretty safe bet, but Terminator 2 was a big budget riff on what was essentially a pretty simple first Avatar movie. Avatar 2 is going to make a ton of money. The question is whether or not it will justify Avatar 3. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Avatar 2 is going to be one of the biggest budget films of all time, just like the first Avatar was, and it's going to promise endless spectacle on a level that you've never seen before. And there are going to be films and documentaries and things about the new technology that was invented just for this film, people are going to want to go see that. And then the question is, you know, was the curve great enough? Yep. We'll find out. That'll be an interesting one. I mean, uh, what what is the Alita battle angel thing that he spent a good chunk of his career building up to? Nobody Flop. cared about. I didn't even bother. I wasn't, I just wasn't interested. Yep. Just didn't look all Me that either. interesting. I mean, it looked cool. I bet, I bet I'd probably get Have something fun. out of it, you know, but Some Friday night on a cheap stream. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, like, okay, Ready Player One, we read the book mm-hmm. and we saw the movie. Yes. But talk about a property where you really could have pulled out all the stops. Yeah. Put so much money into making it as immersive of a spectacle as you, like, let's make that movie designed for 3D so much that the only way to see it is in 3D. Right. Like, let's make that movie, let's design that movie for, like, the Oculus Rift or the, you know, some VR tech and 3D. And the only way to actually see that movie is 3D and VR. Right. And let's, tons of money into new equipment and stuff. Let's make it really, really special. Let's make it an event. Mm -hmm. Let's make it, Spielberg could have done that. Yeah, but he was the wrong person for that movie. I just think anybody would have done a better job on that movie because it's anybody, a tribute to Spielberg. Right. And Spielberg is self-conscious about that. And rightfully so. Who wants to design a tribute to himself? So just don't take the project. I understand why you wouldn't want it. Yeah. But that's why you don't take it. And you get anybody. You get J.J. Abrams. You get... Yeah, J.J. Abrams would have done a great job. You get some hack that just likes Spielberg. You give him a big budget. 
and they're going to do things to recreate Spielberg movies. Spielberg actually does one thing in that movie right, which is he recreates The Shining really well because Spielberg has a lot of affection for Stanley Kubrick. Now, get somebody like that that feels that way, not just about Stanley Kubrick, but, but about, about Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah. And let him design things that suddenly snap you back into that world of Jurassic Park, of Indiana Jones, of Star Wars, of all those things, Amblin Entertainment things that you remember. Yep. And suddenly you have a really, even if the plot is stupid, you have a really nostalgic, exciting, exciting movie. Fail. Fail. All right. All of which has everything to do with Empire Strikes Back the movie that we are discussing actually it kind of does here's how i'll tie it in all these kinds of franchise things like avatar the avatar series the fact that the avatar mythology will keep expanding all this kind of stuff you know we live we live in a ready player one world of marketing and merchandising and repackaging well even the forget about repackaging just packaging in general Star Wars created, right? Toys, nostalgia, merchandising, licensing, the fact that these things had a life beyond just being a movie that you went and saw and enjoyed. Some, you know, It was a world for kids to enter into and for adults to make an awful lot of money on kids entering into this world. Yep. This was all, not Steven Spielberg, George this Lucas. was all George Lucas, the visionary world builder, and George Lucas, the incredible businessman. Yep. And you, you kind of need both. I, I really think if, if George Lucas was just a visionary, then he'd be some visionary that nobody had ever heard of. Point is, you have to be a savvy businessman. You have to be a savvy understander of what people want, of what kids want. You, you yeah. need that aspect of George Lucas, which is a very uh, mercantile, mercenary, money-making side of him. And we can disparage it if we want to. We can disparage the collapse of civilization that came after Star Wars. Everything, the snake eating its tail, everything turning meta everything turning merchandise, everything turning remake and reboot. And we, we can we can see the lineage of that in Star Wars and we can disparage it. But you also wouldn't, I don't think, have what you like about Star Wars if you didn't yeah. have that sense of, well, of look, audience what, pleasing. What world is more cool as a little boy to play in than the world of laser swords and these cool spaceships that you've never seen before? Bad guys that you can line up that look completely different than any, anything you've ever seen, but they, they're clearly bad guys and good guys that look like good guys. And... Everything about it is really smart and really calculating. You can you can play in that world imaginatively, and you can play in that world with figurines, and you can play in that world with lights with plastic lightsabers, and you can play in that world and now with Legos and with on PlayStation and Xbox and Nintendo, and that's really cool. Right. That's really fun. That's really smart. And how I mean, in terms of building something that's going to last, like what Avatar doesn't have yet is. How do you play in that world? Right. How do you play in the world of Dune? How do you play in the world of, you know? How do, how do you build out, out that mythology in a way that will actually be compelling and resonant and last for people? And that's- Well, with stuff. With stuff. It, yeah. It actually needs stuff. Right. It actually needs things. Right. Things that you can learn, things that you can geek out over, things that you can play with and talk about, things that look different and are unique to that world. Harry Potter does this fairly well, too. Yeah. Well, Harry Potter does it brilliantly. We can argue about- it going downhill in the last couple of years with Rowling being stupid, but Harry Potter did it really yeah, well. Replace lightsabers with wands, mm-hmm. uh, stormtrooper get up with cloaks, right? Add some paraphernalia like glasses and scars, and right. Well, and the important point to make, and the point that I think we're going to make in this episode, and this is certainly not an original point with us, but I think it's the one that you need to remember about Empire Strikes Back, is that the real key to all of this that we're talking about, to all the franchising, to all the licensing, to all the myth, myth mythologizing to everything that we really associate with star wars both good and bad empire strikes back 
is really where all that stuff locked in. A New Hope, after you release that movie and it's successful, you can go any number of directions. You can go any number of directions with the sequels. You can not do sequels. Not a foregone conclusion. Every People didn't just franchise things. Franchising wasn't, a, you know, nobody, if I, if I recorded a podcast and people knew what podcasts were in 1980 and we said a film franchise, nobody would know what we were talking about, right? Yep. A film, fran- film the, the whole idea didn't exist. You had your Planet of the Apes Bond. movies. You had, you, had James, you had James Bond, which did it successfully. And so what does James Bond inspire? It doesn't inspire other people to go out and do their own things, create their own franchises. What it, what it did. Well, what it inspires is Matt Helm, Harry Palmer, and all these other spy franchises, right? Like Hollywood can be so uncreative sometimes. Like we have a successful spy franchise. We will cr- try and create other spy franchises. Spy franchises. It, what it took was a genius... A pair of geniuses in Lucas and Spielberg, actually, right. to say, hey, let's try an archaeologist. <laughs> and this is 20 years down the road, right? It shouldn't right. take them 20 years to realize we can do other kinds of fran- – we can take the template of James Bond and not just do James Bond with it. Yeah, we cannot. We can do not just Bond knockoffs, but we can do our own thing. We can do our own thing, still using the building By tapping into blocks. what is cool about right this franchise and if we do that we'll probably part of what's cool about it is that it is a franchise right that there are catchphrases that there is stuff in the world that like part of what's cool about bond is okay here's the part where he goes to q and q gives him something that's surprising right and here's the part where he in act three finally uses the thing that q gave him and here's the part with the girl and here's the part with oh what's the girl going to be this time and how's it going to what's the twist going to be like that was all fun and you got to, you know, suave guy that you wish you could be. Right. Well, that's actually a perfect lead into talking about what Empire Strikes Back did and how innovative it actually was. Because let's think about the James Bond movies. James Bond in From Russia with Love actually does have the same girlfriend at the very beginning of the movie. Sylvia Trench, when he famously in, in uh, Dr. No, he says his famous line in the casino. And, and you are Mr. Bond, James Bond in the music. Uh, the really iconic moment, right? And the woman he says that to. Sylvia Trench is 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 the girl in that movie. She is actually at the beginning of From Russia with Love. She's his girl. But that's really the only continuity because he quickly abandons her. And then he has like a new girl in the movie. And then there's a new villain. And there's an, and basically they're just repeating the same formula. Then Goldfinger, new girl. And it starts to become a thing. Who are the new girls going to be? What are the new gadgets going to be? But you always know your way. I mean, one of the charms of the James Bond movies and one of the detriments you always know where you are in a Bond picture, right? You know that at a certain point they're going to get to the villain's lab and the villain is going to show them around this grandiose place and then it's all going to get blown up. And you know that there's going to be a bad girl who's going to probably turn good after she sleeps with James Bond and there's going to mm-hmm. be a good girl that may die or maybe she'll be the girl that he finishes the movie with. And, and you can kind of even tell all you have to do is look at the girls usually to say who's the bad one that's going to be good, who's the good one that's going to be bad, who's the who's who's the final girl. It's not that not that hard to figure out, <laughs> right. right? There's yeah. there's not a lot of surprises in the James Bond movie. And that's one of the charms. That's why generations of dads have loved James Bond movies because it's actually fun. Like, oh, <laughs> he's doing the thi- it's the cue scene. I always love these. Yep. Oh, it's the scene where he banter's with the villain in the casino. This is always fun. Oh, it's the girl. She's always pretty. It's just it's a formula, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what James Bond was. And so that's that's your big franchise forerunner, actually, to Star Wars. And so let's put ourselves in the heads of evil cigar-chomping executives. Think about what they might like a second Star Wars movie to be. Closing the loop on how we started this podcast, what I wanted to say is 
Lucas got licensing and he got merchandising rights, which meant that he made a lot of money and he was able, he actually did not have to go to a cigar chomping executive to pitch the second Star Wars movie. He self-funded it. It is essentially an independent film. Empire Strikes Back is because George Mm. Lucas could afford to do that. So he takes the money from Star Wars and from the merchandising. He's made a lot of money. He waived his director's fee, but he was smart. He set it up well for himself as a businessman on the back end. So the beginning of his empire of his billions now are coming in from the first Star Wars movie. What does he do? He invests it in industrial light and mag and magic. He starts to build out Skywalker Ranch. He actually gets away from Hollywood. If you watch George Lucas in, in interviews and stuff like that, he seems like a very shy, insular kind of a guy that, you know, he's famously not somebody that's a very good director, actually, just in terms of actors don't enjoy working with him. He doesn't enjoy working with actors. He gets away from the business and starts to build his own funhouse, which kind of becomes Hollywood, right? Industrial light and magic. Like everybody kind of follows after him. Skywalker Ranch, all these things. But but George Lucas is essentially operating as an independent entity when he makes Empire Strikes Back, which is not necessarily how he had to do it, not necessarily how you'd expect it would be done. So, But he didn't have to answer to anybody. And he's, he became the executive. And he got a director, an old film school tutor of his called Irvin Kirshner to direct the movie. And Irvin Kirshner brought a lot to Empire Strikes Back too, basically by blowing Lucas off. I think the reading between the lines is they clashed a little bit and Kirshner brought a lot of the humor and the humanity and the Han and Leia and the mm-hmm. I know of it all. That's that's very Kirshner. That's also, I guess, since I'm just giving a little context here, that's also Lawrence Kasdan, who's become pretty famous as they bring him in now as kind of the guru of Star Wars. He wrote Solo yeah, we with can his probably son. have... You know, some confidence, you know, the nerds will have confidence if Kasdan's name's attached to it. Right. And I don't know. I don't seems like a nice guy. I don't know how much he really cares about Star Wars, but he has a thing. He's a commodity that they can bring in that the nerds will feel a little comfort about. And then he writes. He wrote Raiders, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. So he's an ad advertising executive who had a script called The Bodyguard, which was a really famous script that got bandied around Hollywood. And it was one of there's always these scripts that are like the famous unproduced, like the greatest movie never made. There's there's scripts. You can read about them even now. Scripts that get passed around for whatever reason, they never get made. This movie actually did get made with Kevin Costner Costner, many years later. But back in the 70s, Kasdan had written the original screenplay. It was supposed to be great. And so that was his calling card. But he's just this advertising executive. And um, he starts to get some traction in Hollywood. And then Spielberg and Lucas sit down and do Raiders with him. And he's perfect for that movie. You've got Lucas's structure, Mm-hmm. which Lucas is a genius with structure and world building. You've got Spielberg's just magic, his, yep. his pixie dust, his filmmaking acumen, his the fact that he lives and breathes this stuff. You know, Spielberg is just... And he, was just at the height of his creativity. If Lucas is the engine, then Spielberg is the gasoline. Yeah. And then Kasdan, what would he be? I mean, he's just, he's the person that put all the little bells and whistles. He's the, and, he's the German mechanic yeah, who, he's the designed German, the engi- who designs the engine. Yeah, so he is, he's actually doing the designing. He does a lot of nice stuff for that movie. The dialogue between Marion and Indy is, is, is pretty crackling. You know, there's just a lot of sophistication and wit and fun in that movie that I wouldn't say are necessarily things I generally associate with either Spielberg, Spielberg more than Lucas, but definitely not Lucas. Yeah. And Kasdan just brings a sense of fun and, you know, he makes the movie a little bit adult. And I think that there's some good and some bad to that. Some of the sexual stuff is annoying in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And that's, that's Kasdan as much as anything. Although Lucas and Spielberg bring not that kind of... Their, their, their hands are not clean, certainly. But Kasdan's this witty, worldly wise guy. And so him 
combined with Irving Kirshner, they really bring some classiness to the writing of the second Star Wars movie and the performing and the all the stuff that people like about Empire Strikes Back, the romance, the fact that the characters are a little bit more interesting and there's something more for adults to appreciate. You know, there's a little something that mom and dad can kind of enjoy about the movie. It's not just the kid. It's not just Luke Skywalker swinging across bridges the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that is as much thanks to Kirshner and Kasdan as anyone. But I want to return to my original point and I want to return to this game I want to play. In this game, Jake, yeah. you're, you're going to play George Lucas, okay? Okay. You're going to play George Lucas and we're going to pretend like- I thought like, I was going to be the cigar chomping exec. You can be the cigar chomping exec if you oh, want and I'll to. be whoever you want me to be. All right, you be George Lucas and you're going to pitch- we're going to pretend like you were an idiot and you did not secure licensing and merchandising rights. And so I have the sequel rights. You need to impress me in order to get this second Star Wars movie made. <clears throat> and so you're going to pitch <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. I'm already nervous about this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're gonna, you're, you, and you can do a, a frog George Lucas voice if you want to, but you don't no, have to. No, um, no. Okay, well, just, you're just Jake Menzel, okay? You're Jake Menzel. And you have a great idea for a second Star Wars movie. Your great idea happens to be what we know as... A truly great idea. Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> but I'm going to be the cigar-chomping executive, and I'm going to react to I'm your idea. I'm already feeling the pain of it. All right. Okay, so I've got this great idea. All right, tell me about your idea, kid. Okay, all these characters that we've introduced in this last film, people are probably going to expect them to have an adventure together, but let's split them all up over the course of a film. All right, uh, let me stop you right there. Which... Which which characters are we? Because I know the first movie had this Luke this Luke Star Killer guy, right? Yeah, yeah, Skywalker actually. And so, yeah, sure. Are we just are we going to do another adventure for him? Is he going to be back on Tatooine? I assume he's back no, to normal. They blew up no. the Death Star at the end of the movie. No, we're right? going to start and in so, a completely new place. Okay, wait. Some some place completely different. Let, let me stop you right there because yeah. people really like the first movie, and it's it's kind of a okay. It's, well, a, it's a desert. It's basically well, what a, a they, western. What you know, they, I read what, in the New York Times that you're drawing on western themes, right? Yeah, and you so can draw on the, western themes. But part of what was cool about the first one, it wasn't that it was a desert. It was that it felt otherly, and it had two suns, and it felt completely different. So what we want to do, what I want to do in the second one, is give that same experience again of something completely different that you never thought of. Like, so we did a desert. Not, I'm thinking more like Ice Planet. And it can be just like a Western, you know, Stark and, you know, but Arctic. Think but Arctic Explorers. Ice is a lot. Okay. The first movie was not an Arctic Explorer movie, though. It's basically no, it a wasn't. Cowboys and Indians thing in space, right? It's a, it's a, it's a Western, right? Uh, uh, it's, it's a space opera. It's sort of its own new genre. And so we can kind of the first movie do was basically we... it happened with some sand and then they were, sand, they were in the yeah. Death Star. So yeah, there was sand in the Death Star. That's there right. Some and spaceships now, flying around. And now so. we're going to give people a new experience, completely new planet, new place. It's going to be super exciting because you, you know people are going to come and think, oh, desert, that's cool. But instead, it's going to be ice planet, and they're going to be like, whoa, ice planet. That's neat. I didn't expect that. Oh, this is cool. It's got its own unique vibe. This is a bigger world than just desert planets. This is a world with all kinds of planets from, you know, any place they be they land could be totally different. Okay, this I'm I'm going to go with you on this. I'm going to let you make your pitch, but are you aware of how sequels work, especially for kids movies? Your your James James Bond, he, you know, he goes back to Cube Ranch at the, to get new gadgets at the beginning of every movie. It's it's yeah. kind of basically the same thing. Yeah, but this right? is going to be uh, this is you need to think like let's, have you ever read movies, Lord of the Rings? Space movies, I think of uh 
you're, you're Planet of the Apes, right? You got you had the first one, and then then the next one they fought some more apes, and then the yeah. third one, yeah, they, they were, but on that planet they were still fighting apes. Yeah, yeah. Well, but kids actually like comfort. They do, like to be able to return know? to things. Do they? they? I think kids like things that are cool and interesting and fun, like James Bond, like Planet of the uh, Apes. It's a pretty successful kids movie. I'm an ex- I'm a successful cigar-chomping exactly, executive here. Okay, okay, okay. Bond's got its own cool thing going. But what I want to do is I want to tell a bigger story that develops in a bigger universe. And so I kind of think, you know, Bond's cool in its own way, but it's also kind of like small-minded and lame. And what I want to do is build something even bigger and cooler okay, on like, top of what we've already got. I like bigger and cooler. So is there going to be is it going to be like a new a new nope. villain for for Skywalker nope. to fight? He basically defeated the Empire at the end, right? They blew up the Death Star. Uh, Skywalker. Yeah. Is it going to be like a new, you know, James Bond? He has a new villain come every time. Who's, okay, who's, okay. who's the villain in this it's one? It's Darth Vader. The robot man from the first one? Yeah. The thug? Yeah. He's he's not, he's more than a thug. Well, the, in the first movie, though, uh, we had, he felt like a we th- had Peter he felt Cushing, like a thug Cushing be- right? He was he was the villain. Grand, Grandma Tarkin, Tarkington, whatever his name was. He he was, you know, we had a, he, he had dialogue yeah. and a face. But he wasn't scary. In the same way that Darth Vader was scared. Okay, I understand kids like their robot man, but... Robot man is more... He's just more. We introduced him. You thought he was a thug, but what what, what I want to do is... what I want to I set up sort of like two parallel journeys here. So like Luke is becoming more of a hero in the minds of our, of our uh, audience. Darth Vader is becoming more ominous. And there's also like somebody behind the curtain here who's even more scary, the Emperor. Okay, I and like so, that part, but... Yeah. The stuff that you're talking about with Vader makes me a little nervous, right? He's a he's a ro- this would be he's like he's a cool robot. Again, you've seen the James Bond pictures. So, uh, Goldfinger, Goldfinger was the new villain. You don't take Odd Job and then make him the main like no, the no, main no, villain no, in the uh, next movie. This guy was just a thug. He's just a murdering robot man. He can be a lot scarier, I promise. Plus, we're going to do this thing where we make it even more complicated and cool. I was going to save this for a later part in the pitch, but he's actually Luke's father. Robot man? Robot man is actually with Luke's no father. face. Yeah. With no No, he's he's a person inside of there. This is like the Lion King 2019 <laughs> that I'm predicting. No. <laughs> because I'm a very smart <laughs> studio executive <laughs> that they will have these lions. No, it's that gonna can't blow emote. people's minds. He's he's gonna I mean, first of all, you get James Earl Jones voicing him. Alright, I like that. And but here's the thing. Like Actually, it's the fact that he can't emote that makes him scary. You don't know what's going on inside of him. All you know is that he's evil and scary, and he wields a great big red lightsaber that's also scary, and people are scared, and he can choke people with his fingers through space. Like, he can force, move things and throw things, and we're going to have a scene where he's, like, moving and throwing things at Luke. These are all robot man gimmicks, and I'm fine with robot. No, it's not robot man. It's not robot man gimmicks. It's, It's the force. Like, the force is this thing it's going to take a bigger place in this film. Like even, even in the first one, the idea of the, of the force of moving things with your mind. Wait, oh, right. I didn't you, tell you, you that that's force. actually a thing, but yeah. So like the force, you remember like all that use the force stuff in the first film? Sure. Yeah. It's, we it's we just... only got the tip of the iceberg. Okay. And so, you know, that was sort of like a, you know, guiding felt like a guiding thing that helped, you know, the laser shot, you know, make it to the sure. center of the death star or whatever. And, you know, help Luke maybe have a little bit of precognition with his, but but we're, what we're going to find out is you can actually manipulate space. You can it's sort of like telepathy. You can move things around with the force. You can th- stack rocks and you can but this throw is a, things. This is an adventure kid movie for kids. We're not going to spend a lot of time on all this. Yeah, we fake are religious it's mumbo jumbo. Right? The kids are going to eat it up. They're going to be like, oh man. 
they're gonna they're gonna love the idea of imagining themselves tapping into this like secret power okay. that they didn't know that they had. Did you see the first could... Star Wars movie? I I'm I'm I made that movie. Yeah. It, basically, the guy runs around. He shoots laser guns. They 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 have big battles. But you in know space what's cooler than laser guns is laser swords. And did you you remember? There's just that one scene. You know where we had that one laser sword battle, right? But like, what if we had a another laser sword battle with Vader again? Okay, I'm liking this. So, okay, and and it's, you know, you had Obi Wan, and he was the father figure to Luke, right? And he was killed by Vader, and then now we've got Luke's got to face down his own father in a great big laser sword battle, and, but they're going to be able to throw stuff at each other with the Force. All right, that sounds cool. That sounds right? cool. So. We'll be doing this through the whole movie, right? There'll be lots of laser sword battles. and No, we're going to spend a lot of time actually with Han and uh, Chewbacca and Princess Leia. Well, they were popular characters, but Leia's, Leia should be with Luke, right? That's that's what we were setting up in the first movie. You, you know, actually... Or did you want to maybe bring in a new girl? Because we could get, you know, we could well, get, what, <laughs> actresses what, would kill no, me no, in this thing. We no, 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 no. I think Bond that we model. just need to play with the tension, the sexual tension between... Luke and Leia and Han and This is a Leia. kid's movie. Did you just say sexual sexual tension? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a way to do that without, you know, making it, you know, non-kid friendly. But it's the tension between Han and Leia? And Luke and Leia, too, you know. I figure, like, if, like, Luke and Leia kiss early on to set up the jealousy thing, but then Han can eventually win or wait, seem wait, like wait. he's going to win. The the pirate guy? I mean, he's a charming yeah. side character, but he's going to win? Yeah, he's going to win. Luke and Leia are a couple. It's Luke and Leia, right? People have written articles about Luke and Leia. I mean, they're the thing. No. They're the couple of 19... So, uh, well, I just think it's a fun twist because... A fun it twist makes to, it more to give the audience something that they don't want. Luke's sort... No, well... A fun twist would be if De Havilland didn't end up with uh, Errol Flynn. No, 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 no. Okay. What's fun is breaking conventions. And what we've got Luke on is this journey... And I don't want to complicate Luke's journey with a love story right now. What I want is Luke to have to face down his own demons, to have to face down his father. And he's on this journey to sort of become this like epic uh, samurai monk, if that makes sense. Face down his father, face down his demons, epic samurai monk. Did you see the first movie? Yeah. They run around in hallways and they shoot laser guns at each other. That's what the kids liked. And then they, they fly their spaceships. We're going to give them even more things to like, but in a different way. Okay, what kind of things are we going to give them to like? Um, well, we got a new character. His name's Yoda. He's can we get like Marlon Brando or Jack Nicholson or? No, I was just going to you know cast Frank Oz, the you know the puppet guy with Jim Henson's the, crew. What can he act? He's just going to get Frank Oz to. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're going to have this awesome puppet. Wait, let me make sure I'm getting this straight. Yeah, puppets the... are actually going to be a really big thing in this movie. That's absolutely insane. I, I feel no, like I should. No, because you need like, like super next, cool my, aliens. My next two words should and... be severance pay. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Um, listen, the first movie got a lot of cachet by bringing in Alec Guinness. We need to get the next Alec Guinness, right? We need to no, get somebody to well, add a little well, actually, that's, uh, gravitas I, I was this actually thing. thinking we could bring Alec Guinness back as a ghost. Well, that sounds kind of silly. You think he'll he'll do it? Well, yeah, I actually think he I think he would do it. And if we pay him and uh, Philbert prize that role, be no problem. So okay, we but can if have him got, as a, yeah. If, if we've got another mentor character, though, that's a place where we can put in, you know, we could we could go for Brando. He did Superman, right? We could go for He did do Superman, but we let's can get not... somebody to bring gravitas to this thing, we, you know. It doesn't need you, you gravitas, you want, you it say, needs to be fun. All right, here's, Plus, here's what you're telling me. You're saying you want to tell you want to take this kids movie yeah. about people running down hallways shooting lasers at each other and you want it to be about this man facing his demons. Yeah. And then you want to do that with a puppet? Yeah, absolutely. 
Because because this puppet is going like, to be surprising. Frog, like Kermit the Frog is going to yeah. help this man face his demons. He's going to be a little more. He's going to be a lot more life-like and realistic than Kermit the Frog. Okay, but, but he's still a puppet. Yeah, anyway. he, yeah. Well, see, that's part of what's fun about it is like, at first we're going to think that he's just some like dorky trickster guy hermit thing that is in the way and then it's gonna boom turn out that he's actually really wise and powerful and that's gonna be cool because part of what's cool about the force and especially for kids is that it doesn't matter how big you are so we're gonna make this puppet the size of a child right and luke's gonna think that he's like gonna look down on this like child-sized old old he's gonna be really old to like 900 years old in a comic puppet in in at first and Eventually, we're going to realize that he's actually this like super, like maybe one of the most powerful people in the whole galaxy. Kermit maybe the Frog one of the is most one of the wise most powerful. and powerful. Yeah, maybe one of the most wise and powerful people to ever live. By the time that this is all done, that's what we're going to realize. And what's that's going to do is it's going to really empower the kids who are watching this to think, man, yeah, like I can be little but powerful and wise, and you know, and people can make fun of me, and and that's okay because. You know, the force is going to level the playing field. And the idea of the force as this sort of like space religion, it levels the playing field for everybody. So anybody can can tap into it. And that's really cool. Will there be hallways and no people hallways. firing lasers? No, just different planets and stuff. Like this movie that. is going to have yeah. a ton of action scenes, right? All this stuff, you're scaring me a little bit. Like There's going to be the one action scene I was telling you about with the, the fight. The laser swords. The laser sword fight, yeah. Okay, the whole second act... Of the first movie is people running, as I've said, running around hallways, fly, firing uh-huh. lasers. It's, it's just nonstop of, action. Not, this movie is going to be no. nonstop action. There's I mean, that's be none of the that, Star Wars no. brand, if there is one. I mean, we're deciding what it is, but it, it should be nonstop more, action, right? No, no, no. What it's going to set up a third movie that's going to have a lot of action, maybe. But what this is really going to do is just Wait, develop is, is the characters and the mythology. Yeah, yeah. This is part of it, this. Is okay. So I know we called the first one Star Wars, but now I want to kind of call it Star Wars Episode Four. Episode. Yeah, what and this is going to be three? episode five. Well, it's a it's the whole series surrounding the growth of how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. But we're going to tell that story maybe later down the line if we can get to how it. But right now man became wanna... Robot Man. He wasn't a robot. Man. How Robbie a, the robot became he was Robbie a person. No, he's a person who became a robot man, just like Luke. He's like he's Luke's father, right? He's just a he's a normal guy. He was a Jedi, like. Luke and like Obi-Wan and but he went bad and bad things happened to him and he kind of became a robot man and well maybe we can tell that story some other time but maybe yeah if I don't kick kick you out of my office right now (laughs) (laughs) so so you say there's not going to be a ton of action no it's just going to be a lot really building out the worlds the this universe that we're in okay the idea of the force as this like world but People went to the first movie for characters, action, right? And re- for relationships. For, it's, and... This is this is this is this is scaring me. Okay, I, I, uh, the first movie is 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 non. Once it gets going, it's it's nonstop action, and you're and you're saying we're gonna stop to explain our our fake mumbo jumbo religion to people by from a a, a puppet Kermit the Frog. So but, instead of having a great action in our sequel to our action movie, but, we're gonna okay, have Kermit uh, the Frog okay, okay, explain. But, but instead of like you know uh, like the. That action pacing, that's really cool. But what I think would be really cool is if we could step back and create this sort of mystical aura around all of this stuff. A mystical aura? Yeah, because, okay, so we've got this other planet, right? And and we've got like actually a lot of planets. Like one of the planets is in the clouds. Calling it Cloud City for now. 
I mean, that's, the city, that's just the that's just a working title, though. We'll come up with something more clever. I, I kind of like it, actually. <laughs> okay, all right. And then and then there's going to be this other planet, and it's going to be like a big swamp. And there's going to be the dinosaurs there. I, okay, I like dinosaurs. dinosaurs. I can get if we can afford so it. In like the budget. A t- we'll have like a pterodactyl flying. That'd that's be, cool. Be an alien pterodactyl, not exactly a pterodactyl. It's kind of dinosaur-y. That's cool, right? Um, but it's just going to be this like swamp place, and the Yoda's this little green guy lives in the swamp place. And what I think would be really cool is if we had a really these scenes of like. Sort of, sort of like Rocky, you know, Rocky. I, that was a big success. Like I, a training montage, but it's not going to be like Rocky because he's going to be like standing on his head and stacking rocks. He's going to with wait, his mind. Wait a second, he's going to be standing on his head and stacking rocks with, with his, his mind. mind. Yeah. Every time I think you've but, given me all, you've, you've dumped all the insane on the table. Yeah. You come up with another <laughs> another terrible idea. No, no. It's what's going to be cool is like he's going to be really working hard to tap into. The force. This fake mystical mumbo jumbo that people don't care about. In the movie, it's not fake. And people will care about it. Why? Says because who? because of these scenes right here that I'm telling you about. It's the scenes gonna where feel, he stacks rockets on his head. It's going to surprise people. In our people. laser shooting not, movie. No, 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 no. Lasers, that was flashbang. It was good for the first movie. But I'm building a bigger universe and a bigger world here. And what we need is something that is... Yeah, what we need Luke is needs in, to take in, a step, and in, in, the step in, is he needs to uh, take a step into a larger world. In in, as, in, in, as, in in Planet of the Apes, the second movie, we needed to figure out uh, where Charlton Heston's what Charlton Heston's mom was like, and the religion that uh, made Charlton Heston want to go after those dirty apes. And uh, in the second uh, James Bond movie, we didn't want to see James Bond go on adventures. We wanted to see James Bond get trained by Here, here's the, the thing. Q branch. We here, wanted to see him here, exercising here's the difference. Here, learning about James Bond philosophy. Listen, here, this, is, this is crazy talk. Here's the, here's the thing. Eventually, James Bond movies are just going to be just another James Bond movie. Star Wars, I want it to be bigger and more special than that. I want I want to blow people's minds. I want to blow their expectations out of the water. I want them to see, just like Luke took a first step into a larger universe in the in A New Hope in the first movie. I want our audience to take a new uh, uh, another step into a larger universe in this second movie, so that they feel like, wow, anything can happen. There are possibilities and things going on in this world, in this universe that uh, this Star Wars uni- Wars universe that I never imagined. I just think I just think that that would be really cool and really fun. I understand what you're saying, but and and that's what's going to set it apart from things like Bond. It's, there's no such thing as another Star Wars movie. There's no such thing as just another Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, there movie. might not be any uh, any more Star Wars movies if we keep going like this. If if we just change everything that you people know liked about the first one, if we don't give them uh, here's here's my pitch, okay? Luke Luke Skywalker, he goes on another adventure. There's another villain with a, with a, you know, I know it can't exactly be a Death Star, but you know this villain uh, has has a, has another evil no, plan, and, and maybe gonna... there's a new girl uh, nope. and, and some new creatures, and you know he can he can do some new stuff. You he can go to some new planets. You know, and he can, he can he can use your force and everything, but he's he's got to basically do what what kids like you know, is knowing where they are in the formula. That's actually what we make for family pictures. We make formula pictures, right? Rocky two, Rocky three. Rocky's not going to box. He's going to do something else. Uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, well, um, I just think that you know you've got your way, and you know maybe that story could could uh, that movie. You know, could sell some tickets or whatever, but my movie will wouldn't... sell tickets. Your your movie, but it won't might... be special. And what we want is something that's special, something that's epic, something that that raises the bar 
for everybody. What you want, if I'm understanding, is to take your little Star Wars laser movie uh-huh. and, and make the sequel Lawrence of Arabia. And that's that's a risky proposition. Uh, with a puppet. Yeah, puppets are cool. And not I really like them. And not and and you say the middle act isn't gonna be a lot we've got a laser sword battle at the end. I'm happy about that. Yeah. Any other major action in the movie? Well, so there's gonna be like this like I was telling you, this place called Cloud City. That's where that battle's gonna happen, the one I was telling you about. And uh, I th- figure we could maybe blow up one of our droids like C3PO there. But yeah. The every kid's favorite character? R- R- R2D2 is kind of more their favorite character. Okay, but the the gay little English droid, right? Really popular fan favorite character. Are you gonna blow him up? Kind of, but we can maybe put him back together. Why would you do that? To say increase just the dramatic make... tension. Dramatic tension? Kids don't care about dramatic tension. Yes, they do. It keeps them hooked. Have you ever been to a movie and watched a kid? Like, they they feel like they don't like it, but it's what keeps them engaged in the movie. They want to be safe. They want to know that they're in. Does everything at least end happily? No, that that's kind of what I think is the best part of this is like, at the end of this movie, everybody is scattered and going separate places and we don't know what's going to happen to anybody and everybody's just like whoa but you said han and leia they're together they're happy well actually they get they realize they love each other by the end but then we separate them han's gonna get frozen and sent to this like evil gangster who's a big puppet space slug named jabba the hut (laughs) And I feel like you're you're not buying this. <laughs> no. <laughs> but see, what that's going to do is set up the third movie where we have to go rescue Han, and then like the team's going to eventually come back together, and then finally take down both Darth Vader and the Emperor, who will will reveal is like the puppet master behind all of this in this film. But really, like, so this is our our kids movie, our, yeah. our sequel to the laser shooting hallway movie mm-hmm. is going to end sad and people have to wait a couple of years until the next one comes out. To... Yeah. Isn't that cool? No. <laughs> this is, this, is, this no, is all insane. No, it's not. It's super cool because at the end of it, people will be like, oh man, that was amazing. That blew my mind. I didn't know that Vader was Luke's father. I didn't know the force. You can move stuff with your minds. I didn't know all this stuff was going to happen. I never thought that Han would end up with Leia, but now it makes sense. Oh man. And now they're all separated and there's so much tension. I can't wait to the next one. This is so cool. There's so much. How's it going to resolve between Luke and his dad? The robot man. The robot man. Yeah. Darth Vader. Stop calling him a robot man. He's a man. And so he's like, he's been through a lot. Like maybe he's been, he's been I'm sorry if maybe I he's been badly burned or I'm something. I'm sorry if and, I didn't grasp onto the humanity of the robot thug. In your first movie, well, he's gonna feel more human by the end of this, and by in the by the end of the whole story, we're gonna see his face. Is this is gonna, a father and son story, really. Is he gonna take off the mask when he says, "I'm your father"? No, he's not, because it's just gonna be expressive, an expressionless robot guy. Yeah, and that's gonna make it that much more interesting and terrifying and cool. You're using words like terrifying and tension in our yeah. in our kids' laser. Yeah, movie. I think I think that's awesome. Kids don't like to be terrified. They don't like tension. They can't. Eh. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. A movie without tension is just not cool. It's just the right amount of tension. It's the balancing act. There was tension all throughout the first movie. Well, and yeah, tension was resolved when the villains were defeated and got. And we're going to resolve this eventually. All this tension. You know, here's what I'll give you: when 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 Luke Skywalker is is going after the new villain that we're going to come up with. Darth Vader can still be on the fringes trying to get revenge. You know, Robot Man can come in. We can do some action scenes. Maybe some, maybe a laser, I'm going to say a laser sword fight 
maybe halfway through, you know, and he defeats Vader just to give give some some good action or something like that. But in in this movie, in, in the movie that I'm that we're going to make. Where, no, he, where no, Luke goes on a new no, adventure. No, no, no. There's it's, no new adventure. This is all the same one adventure. This is about him becoming, you know, the hero. He's got to face down his father. But I thought he's he, got to so face he, down. He became the hero. He blew up the bad guys at the end, and that, that, that didn't actually this, achieve ever, anything. He's still, he's still on the run. This is a, this is a, this is a first win, a big win in a for a small rebellion. Like, think about the, the resources that the Empire must have had to create this moon-sized thing. They're not just going to lay down because the moon got blown up, the, the space station got blown up. They're going to come back harder. They may be reeling a little bit. But we destroyed their, they're gonna they, figure their it super out. weapon, right? I mean, they... Yeah, yeah, but, you know... All the, they've got is Robot Man. They kind of control the whole galaxy. So, you know, they've got, like, fleets and armadas and the resources to build a second bigger one maybe so, so doesn't that kind of take away from what was so definitive and happy about you know luke got a medal at the end of the movie it really felt like he'd, he'd achieved something you're saying actually yeah the empire well, is still out there they're still in full control yeah i am yeah. All, all, all we did was take one gun out of their arsenal basically uh-huh isn't that cool i hate everything about this idea well I that's mean, why i'm the filmmaker and that's you're... why you need my money since you foolishly signed away your licensing and merchandising rights in this universe. Um, but m- my movie, like this movie, if you let me make it my way, is going to kind of change the world, like in the way that people think about movies and what movies can do and what movies can be and how much money can be made off of a film franchise. Like, here's the thing. Can, can, what toys can you license and merchandise from Bond? The Aston Martin and oh, the Aston Martin, uh huh. James Bond in his little jetpack, and yeah, we could do some things. Different villains, different girls. What if we could build out this universe, spaceships and cool characters and puppets that play well as figurines, and the idea that you know these little figurines they can move things, they can stack things, they can do all kinds of crazy things with their minds. Like, what if we just like built out this world into this imaginative play place for kids? If you had said, let's do that by telling another story where people fire lasers down the hallways, which is what people basically liked about the first one. Uh, then... You know, I don't really think that's what people liked about the first one. Okay, the space battle. This movie's going to have a big battle in space, right? There's going to be actually no battle in this one, actually. There's just a fight between Vader and Luke. That was kind of a big deal in the first movie. You yeah. spent like yep. a lot of what fired... Okay, let's talk about the kids. A lot of what fired their imagination was this big space battle, right? This World War II kind of going down the trench. You're gonna yeah, that was some, cool. Given something like really that, liked, right? I mean, we already did that. Yeah, I feel like it. if we did that again, that, you know, that would be kind of Well, there again, we already silly. did boxing in Rocky 1. I guess we won't do boxing in Rocky 2. That's we'll not, the, f- not the same. Send Rocky to, to, on same. another adventure. That's not the same thing. Not the same thing. Build out the world. Find out what motivates Rocky. What's let's 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 do a movie about Rocky's religious beliefs. That'd be interesting. See Rocky See, spend time it would with be, his priests. It would be interesting if we had if we didn't have a bunch of assumptions about Rocky and Rocky's religious beliefs. But see, this is a new world and nobody has any idea what to make of it. And so, you know, we can kind of do what we want. And I, I just think that that's neat, fun, cool. So you can just make people, you're, you're, you're telling me you're going to make a movie where you just have, you just tell people mumbo jumbo that's made up. It's not mumbo jumbo. I kind of believe it actually. I, I kind of believe I'm, I'm going to have some guys escort you off the studio a lot now. <laughs> 
Okay, you know what, Mr. Studio Exec? I think I've got the perfect way to pitch this to you. Let's think about this movie as part one of a two-part film, okay? What we need is more laser battles, a bigger thing to blow up and destroy. But in order for that to happen, it needs to feel like our heroes are even more backed up against the wall than before. Because we can't just recreate, like it's, it's going to feel stupid if what we do is we just kind of recreate the same pattern. So Worked pretty well for Bond and Rocky and Planet of the Apes and all the other things that have been it successful. It did it though. Did it? Those movies made did money. Did it really work well for Planet of the Apes? Like the sequels really pay off like the first one? Not uh, really sure. No, but they didn't take giant risks that alienated all their audience. Yeah, risk reward. So here, here, here's how I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this next movie as the first in a two-part movie. It's going to culminate with bigger lasers and more space battles and more guns in hallways and more laser sword stuff and even more cool force stuff. Like maybe we'll make somebody shoot lightning or something like that with his fingertips. I don't care what. But this movie has got to set that up. And in order to set that up, we need possibilities to be all over the table. Possibilities for relationships, possibilities for what the force can do, possibilities for the scale of the battle to increase. We need more worlds, more people involved. We need to feel like there's more at stake and we need to feel like everybody's as backed up against the wall as possible by the end of this this first part of this movie so that when they come together in the second part of this movie, the the catharsis of the final battle and the final defeat of the Empire will really, really be awesome and it will really hit home. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying. I just don't see why we have to load all the tension, all the religion, all the puppets, all the not cool stuff. In this uh, movie, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna show up for your third exciting movie. Why yes, don't we just let's just do the exciting movie? Um, I don't know that you know how stories work. I know how studio filmmaking works. You can't really. You're not really seeing past like the immediate. Yeah, I remember. I, re- I, 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 I remember my uh, my Grimm's fairy tale. It had the big diversion in the middle where uh, the guy went to the puppet and the puppet taught him about religion. And then he went and defeated the the the, the princess, the dragon, and got the princess. That, and as a kid, that that middle part was really enthralling. I'm, okay, I'm being sarcastic here, Mr. Okay, Lucas. But I'm going to take your analogy, and I'm going to show you why you're wrong. King Arthur, King Arthur, he gets the sword. He just like Luke got the sword, right? Follow me here. Luke gets the sword, right? He's got to go, and Arthur's got to figure out what it means to be a king. Arthur needs a mentor who's going to teach him. How who he is and how to pull the king. He's got to have his Merlin. All all of which happened, and if I'm if I'm uh, Obi Wan, I, I take it was Merlin. All of which happened in the first movie while people were firing lasers down hallways. So let's just we can do whatever you want, but let's just make sure there's lots of lasers being fired down hallways, and you know give 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 them a little bit more of what they're expecting, and you know maybe we can put fill some stuff in around the cracks like what you're talking about. These all seem like okay ideas, but let's make sure that we're doing what people expect from a Star Wars sequel. Yeah, no, I don't like that. I don't want to do what they expect. I don't I want to do something different. I want to do something cool. I want to do something people have never seen before. You're a stodgy loser and I hate you and I want to take this film somewhere else. <laughs> I wish I had not I wish I had not made this movie to begin with or made it and had all the rights. Like I'm making you a crap ton of money and you should just trust me that I know what I'm doing. I'm making you money. You made a lot, a lot, lots and lots of money off this first movie. And I'm telling you, 
we're gonna we're gonna change the game with this next film if you just let me do it like we're gonna change the way people think about movies we're gonna change the world we're gonna change the way like we're gonna make bond look like uh like like a like a chintzy british cult series compared to star wars bond is pretty state-of-the-art sir and those those movies make a lot of money you haven't seen state-of-the-art this is going to be the new state-of-the-art it's going to make bond look stupid silly small and you're fired (laughs) (laughs) and scene okay so what have what have we learned today Listen, I I don't know that an executive actually would be that stodgy and hateful about everything. <laughs> Hopefully not. But I think people probably got our point, <laughs> which is, and I don't think that you can overstate it. I actually think our point was pretty, pretty correct, which is Empire Strikes Back is an insane gamble. And it doesn't feel like it because it just feels inevitable. Of course, the force is something that's important. Of course, all these things. Of course, all this world building. But man, George Lucas did have to be a visionary to see that because I don't think it was obvious. I think the the template at the time would have been to just do more of the same. Yeah, just another do- movie that ends with another big battle. Right. So there we go. We've driven the point into the ground. The really the only point I wanted to make with this podcast is that A, nothing was particularly intuitive about Empire Strikes Back. B, when you think about Star Wars as, as a property, as a franchise, as a myth, as anything more than just the first movie... Empire Strikes Back is really where they decided. and That's where it was created. They, yeah. they, that's where it was created, not the first one. Yeah. The first one could have been anything. It could have been a one-off. It could have been yep. It could have been something else that was big and different. But Empire Strikes Back decided what... I mean, really, in A New Hope, the Force isn't... Saying, saying trust the Force isn't really much more than saying trust your heart. Yeah, it's just a mantra. Follow basically. your heart. Yeah. A, a little bit of intuition. Well, you know what? An interesting point of comparison for this that I just thought of is Indiana Jones. So they actually chose to follow the template of the, the studio template, basically, with Indiana Jones. He's going to go on a new adventure. There's going to be a new girl. There's yep. going to be a new bad guy. There's going to be a new MacGuffin every time. And I think a lot of kids in particular are annoyed with that decision. It's one of the things that makes Temple of Doom feel annoying. kind of weird. Like We wanted to see more of this world. We wanted to see more of Marion. We wanted yeah, to see- Yeah, what's going to happen with Indy and Marion? Like we want to see, we want to see a sequel, sequel, not just another installment in the Indiana Jones exactly movies. And they made a conscious choice there too. And I don't know whether it was the right one. We have what we have, and we got some good Indiana Jones movies. But everybody's favorites are Raiders and Crusade. Crusade, and those are the ones that feel the most like a piece with each other. Mm-hmm. Nazis bringing, you know, it's well, and it's the indie story. It's the first one. He comes to believe in the or reveals that he really believes in the supernatural stuff and the second one or not the second one but crusade he's he's gotta lean on it right and it's a father-son relationship and this is how he became who he is and that's exactly right well and it's interesting to speculate like temple of doom they could have done any number of things and they chose they chose to go a certain direction and i don't know and fun fact in case you didn't know this temple of doom is a prequel they made it a prequel for some reason. Maybe to leave things open with Marion. I don't know. Maybe. But Lucas, I know, really wanted to do those movies as... I mean, he loved James Bond movies. I think that's all there is to it. He wanted there to be a different girl. He wanted there to be a different adventure and a different MacGuffin every time. Like mm-hmm. That was the template that he had in mind for those movies from the beginning. But he did not want to do that with Star Wars. And I think... I think it's, I know we've been driving this point into the ground, but I really think the thing that would have made most sense for Star Wars would have been new MacGuffin, new girl, new adventure. The new continu- battle. New battle. The continuity is probably Luke Skywalker, maybe some of his friends, maybe. 
yeah uh the droids because they're cute you know just keep the things that people like give him another adventure that's basically different but more of the same is what studios actually like it's what's safe it's what's risk averse it's what allows people to keep their jobs you might not make the best planet of the apes movie but your your job as an executive the thing that you want is not to be the person that makes the best planet of the apes movie you don't care about making the best planet of the apes movie what you care about is being able to tell the investors you're not the person that screwed up the planet of the apes franchise yep and so you play it safe but george lucas didn't do that thank you merchandising rights thanks to kenner toys and all those good all that good stuff you didn't have to uh and we'll be back to talk some more about the specifics of Empire Strikes Back as soon as we can. Sanity at the Movies, produced by me, executive produced by Jacob Me. Till next time. You've taken your first steps into a larger world. That's not from the right movie. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I see that.